This conference is all about bringing together that powerful triumvirate, people, capital, and ideas. In 2015, the Paris Climate Accords set the target of limiting global warming to well below two degrees. To reduce the disastrous effects of climate change, we need a whole economy approach. Business, government, and finance working together, taking swift action to reduce emissions, supporting and championing the innovators in cleantech, promoting leadership that sees decarbonization as an opportunity, an opportunity for innovation, an opportunity for global collaboration, an opportunity to build a better world for the future generation. The people here today, the people driving this change. Welcome to Innovation Zero. I want to introduce, if uh, she's in the room, could put a hand up, you're here, wonderful. Kim Zhu, co-founder, Climate Tech VC. And actually, I think this is, this is a great talk to follow on from the scene setter I've just given you, because that finance stack, the climate capital stack, and how it adds up is gonna be critical to the transition we need to see that I've just outlined. Kim, over to you. Can you hear me? Oh, there we go. Thank you so much. Awesome. So I'm Kim, co-founder and CEO of CTVC. I usually do this presentation in 45 minutes, so we're gonna, we're gonna have to speed along a little bit here. Um, but we, what we do at CTVC, or Climate Tech VC, we started off as a newsletter over four years ago, really to track what was happening in climate tech, or formerly known as clean tech. Since then, we've seen the rise of climate tech beyond just energy and transportation, and we've been closely following that, now expanding from a newsletter to building out a market intelligence and data platform to closely follow all the companies, the technologies, the projects critical to decarbonization. And so just to give you a little peek into what we do, we do a newsletter every Monday and every Friday. Then we also publish deep research and insights covering sectors like steel decarbonization, carbon markets, sustainable seafood. And behind the scenes of that, we've been closely tracking all the companies, technologies, both startups as well as public companies and incumbents that are building those solutions. And then finally, we think a lot about the capital stack that's required to bring all these solutions to fruition. So not just venture capital funding startups, but that core bridge to bankability, which I'll talk about, to get those solutions and projects in the ground. And this is just a sneak peek of all the data we put out. So we love charts, we love data. A lot of this, use a lot of this to drive our reporting and our insights as well. So I wanna take a moment to talk about climate tech and how we define climate tech. There's been a lot of iterations of this word, you know, over the last few centuries, there's been clean tech, there's been energy transition, there's been sustainable innovation, it all kind of means the same thing in my head, but the way we think about it is beyond energy transportation. It's beyond just clean energy. It's really the whole of our economy. We use a mental model to break this down. We call it monitoring. First, you have to understand our Earth. So how are emissions affecting our planet? How is it uh, impacting climate risk? That's that bucket of monitoring or climate management, as we call it. Things like satellites to track methane leakage. Then we have mitigation or decarbonization. That's really the big bucket, right? That's what we need to be hopefully working on over this next decade. And so within mitigation, we have a lot of those core sectors that drive emissions. That's energy, transportation, built environment, industrials, a lot of whom you know, are roaming around today. 
Within that, we have key subsectors that we're tracking as well. So solar and wind, yes, clean power and generation, but also distributed energy resources. How do we also move the demand side of the grid? We have electric vehicles, EV charging, batteries, mining, all of the core pieces of the supply chain to get electric vehicles. Then we also have industrials, decarbonizing steel, cement, chemicals, like those projects Antony just mentioned. And then finally, the third part of this framework, somewhat you know, depressing, is that climate change is here today. It's no longer something we can just mitigate. It's something we have to adapt to. And so that third part of the mental framework is adaptation and removal. Adap adapting to our current environment as well as removing the existing atmospheric emissions. So that's where carbon removal solutions take place. And to take a step back, you know, why are we doing this today? We're doing this because there's emissions across our economy and we need to figure out how to decarbonize that. So we've tied the data that we've been tracking, the amount of deals or transactions, as well as the funding in the space to those core sectors. As you can see here, the right-hand side is venture deals by sector. So this is the amount of transactions, deals that are getting funded, relatively proportional to the core uh, EPA global GHG emission sectors. But then when we flip this to funding, we can see that that proportion gets pretty misaligned. Lots of funding going towards solutions in transportation, a little bit less, a, a significant less going into core emissions generating industries like industrial, so steel, cement, and chemicals, or even the built environment. And I'll talk through a little bit of why this is happening, but still a lot of work to be done for these core emissions sectors beyond you know, transportation and energy, which historically has gone a, gotten a lot of share of, of venture funding. And like I said, we're looking at this below just the vertical level. So tracking this at the subsector and technology level as well, we can see almost 10% of uh, deal activity has gone into alternative protein and foods, a lot towards batteries and EV charging. And then again, when I flip this to funding, almost 20% of that has gone into autos, into EVs, and then also into batteries as well. And so this drives the conversation of a lot of why we're here today, You know, thinking about climate tech beyond just the core sectors, but beyond just energy and transportation, but thinking about a lot of these up and coming sectors, climate, climate management, carbon, industrials, built environment, a lot of which also need that capital driving towards those sectors. And one thing I want to hit on as well, you know, we're in a recessionary period right now. There's been a peak of venture capital, private equity, private sector funding in 2021 and 2022, or first half of 2022. Now that is starting to decrease. This is, this is the reality of the market. Funding has decreased from 9 billion the prior quarter to 6 billion in Q1. And that's primarily driven by you know, slower deployment, especially in these mega rounds or growth rounds right before companies go public, as we can see here. And we've also taken this real-time, oh, there's birds. We've also taken this real-time data as well. So we're not only tracking deals that have happened, but we're understanding what investor sentiment looks like in real time. So we've done a lot of surveys and we have close relationships with all these private sector investors to understand, are they really deploying slower? And the answer, unfortunately, is yes. 50% of investors said that they are deploying slower, primarily in that Series B plus range. And they're also demanding more proof points for capital requirements and traction. But this isn't all bad news. I think the reason why we're here today is that there's a lot of long tailwinds for climate tech beyond just you know private sector capital deployment right now, which is, again, primarily driven by current macro factors. I do want to hit on this slide really quickly, since obviously, you know, we're here in the UK today. 
I think the U.S., I, I'm from the U.S., as you can hear, the U.S. thinks of itself as a big behemoth in climate tech, but the reality is the second largest ecosystem for climate tech is the United Kingdom, behind California, but that's the fifth largest economy in the world, so basically it's one country. Um, and again, talking about those two major tailwinds, the first one I want to hit on is policy. Now, we're talking about IRA here. It's not to say IRA is the only uh, climate tech policy out there, but it was really you know, a significant milestone for global policy and set the pace for Europe, for the UK, for Asia as well. And we call this the triple whammy of uh, climate policy, where there's the CHIPS Act, the BRAIN funding R&D, bipartisan infrastructure plan, funding infrastructure or the backbone funding these projects, and then finally, the Inflation Reduction Act, which is the engine. So not only are we funding brains and R&D and projects, but the IRA is actually making a lot of these up and coming technologies, hydrogen, carbon capture, battery cycling, somewhat economical to existing technologies. And it's putting all of this on an even playing field. What's significant about this too is, again, thinking about climate tech as a whole kind of systems approach, we're looking at policy that goes towards food and land use, towards carbon, uh, tax incentives that are not just for solar and wind, but for all these different types of technologies. And we did a quick back, back of the envelope calculation. We found that on average, this could actually decrease climate technology costs by around 40%. Obviously, some of this leans heavier towards hydrogen, that $3 per kilogram credit, but it also applies to heat pumps, it applies to you know, industrial CCS, and this can really start to level the playing field for other technologies to calm down the cost curve like solar and wind. The second major tailwind here, you know, we're talking about capital. Yes, real-time deployment has slowed, but that pile of dry powder, the pile of capital that's been raised for climate tech, been specifically allocated for climate tech, has actually grown. And so we've tracked this since 2020, almost $100 billion plus, and this is primarily venture and private equity funds, of new capital specifically marked for climate tech, so for specifically investing in climate. And we know that these funds usually are, you know, a five to seven year time horizon. So all this is to say, while deployment has slowed, there's a significant pool of capital that's coming up the curve, ready to deploy into the space. And now finally, you know, we call this the climate capital stack. What is the climate capital stack? I, I'm not exactly sure if we made this word up or not, but the idea is it's not just venture capital, it's not just private equity that is needed to, you know, really galvanize and get these technologies to deployment. It's a whole of the capital stack, right? It's grants, government R&D, nonprofit catalytic capital, it's venture capital, it's venture debt, commercial debt, and project finance to start bringing these you know, early technology startups to actual project deployment. We've been closely over the last two years tracking the climate tech venture stack. So I think if you scan this, it might bring you to the tool we have on our website. So we've tracked over 300 venture capitalists who have specifically allocated climate or capital towards climate, whether they're climate first and that's their entire thesis, or their generalist funds who have started investing in climate. But now what we're seeing is venture capital is a very small piece of the pie. Last year, we deployed $1 trillion into clean energy. $40 billion of that was uh, venture capital, which means that there's a significant pool here in the blue that's needed to bring these companies, to bring these technologies from lab phase, from pilot phase, to demonstration, and then finally commercial deployment. We call this the bridge to bankability. And so here we can see venture capital is that little purple valley. If you've heard of valleys of death, it's a, it's a common term in clean tech because there's valleys of death that you have to overcome. 
So venture capital can bring you over that first hump. It can help you go from lab and pilot to maybe that first initial demonstration. But if you need to build a 50 million, 100 million, a multi 100 million project, don't raise venture capital. It's probably not right. And that's where that blue section comes in, the first commercial operation. Right now, we've realized there's a dearth of capital in that space. Um, there isn't a specific asset class really directed towards funding those first demonstration, first commercial projects. That's where IRA, that's where you know a lot of this government funding and catalytic resources are coming into play. And that's really what pump we need to get over in order to get to bankability, in order for you know large uh, infrastructure investors, banks to feel comfortable financing these projects. And we've slowly started tracking those asset classes as well. So as I said, we've been closely following venture. Now we're expanding that list beyond venture into private equity and growth, institutional pension funds, infrastructure investors, and of course, corporates who are really key to investing, partnering, and building these projects as well. Um, so watch out for that updated version. This is just a preview draft for now, but we're currently updating this to, to give a fuller picture of what that climate capital stack looks like. And then finally, I'll hit on this real fast. Really, this should read, it's, there's never been a better time to be a climate operator, not just an entrepreneur. A lot of corporates are coming into this space as well. and even though there's these recent macro, you know, recessionary pressures, we think this is here to stay because A, there's technology advances, solar and wind really build that foundation for climate tech. There's the climate reality we're in here, we're here today. You'll hear a lot about that today, so I won't talk too much about that. There's climate policy, like I mentioned, IRA, but also, uh, you know, EU's Green New Deal, lots happening here in the UK as well. Corporate demand, not just driven by policy, and public sector demand, but actual corporate net zero commitments that are hopefully starting to move into execution and deployment. The capital stack, so more types of capital coming to fund this beyond just early stage venture and grants. And then finally, talent. It's everyone that's here today. They told me there's 11,000 registered attendees, 11,000 just to come to this event. And I think that's what's really core to this. It's not just investors or entrepreneurs or you know marketing people. It's really everyone in the space who's coming together because they realize all these other tailwinds are, are here to stay. So I'll leave it at that. To register your interest in attending, exhibiting, sponsoring, or speaking at Innovation Zero 2024, please go to www.innovationzero.com. We look forward to meeting you at Olympia in London on the 30th of April and the 1st of May 2024.